Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. This is episode 11, and I'm your host, Sean Perrin. In today's episode, I interview Raisa Falman, who is a clarinetist who did her master's over in the Netherlands, and while she was there, ended up switching to the Reform Boehm system clarinet. If you're not familiar with what that is, neither was I, and uh, it is sort of a cross between the German system and the Boehm system of clarinets, the French system, and tries to take kind of the best of both worlds. I have to apologize a little bit for my ignorance on this topic in the actual interview. I, for some reason, uh, I assumed, based on my minimal research into it, there's not much information out there. Um, And without a hands-on experience, I had really assumed that the fingerings were somehow a cross between the the Boehm and the Oler system, but it turns out actually that most of the effort required in relearning has to do with the embouchure, and, and you'll hear Raisa correct me on that a few times. So I apologize for my uh, ignorance on the topic, but that is actually why I wanted to have this interview. I, I don't think it's something a lot of people know a lot about, including myself, and I think it's great to actually hear from someone who has done it and tried it and, and, and who loves it. So for today's giveaway, we sort of struggled, uh, Raisa and I, with what to do at first because, you know, as much as we'd love to send you someone her clarinets, that's just not going to happen. Those are her babies. Um, so what we decided to do is offer someone who might be interested in switching to Reform Boehm the chance to reach out to someone who's actually done it to, to chat and, and discuss what that might be like and whether it's right for them or whatever questions come to mind. So it will not be a random across the board giveaway, but if you are interested in that, please leave a comment on the show notes page at clarinet.com, email at feedback at clarinet.com, or you can comment on anywhere this gets posted, such as Facebook, and uh, express your interest in that, and we'll reach out to one person. So one more thing before we get started. If you're having trouble following along because you're having trouble imagining what this clarinet looks like, um, don't fret. We've actually made a YouTube video that you can check out, and I would recommend checking it before this podcast just to get an idea of what this clarinet actually looks like and what we are discussing. Alternatively, you can uh, Google Wurlitzer clarinets, and uh, I believe all of them are made with this key system, so you can check out how it looks and, and kind of get a feel for it before we start. So let's get on with today's show. This is uh, Raisa Falman on the Reform Boehm system. Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast, Raisa, and thank you to, for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks for having me, Sean. You studied with Pierre Vaudenberg in the Netherlands. Um, what was that like? Would you share a story about your time working with him? It was amazing. Studying with Pierre was really fantastic. Um, all around, I have to say he's hands down probably the finest clarinet player I've ever had the pleasure of even listening to, including all of my favorite clarinet players that I have recording of, recordings <laughs> of. Um, it's hard for me to pick just one thing. I had a lot of really great lessons. I mean, a lot of epiphanies, a lot of things like that. Um, but when I look back now, I think the thing that stands out the most to me is the way he sees potential in his students. And when I first played for him, right away he could kind of tell what I was trying to accomplish mentally, like what my goals were, um, you know, like what my sound concept was that I was trying to do. And right away he could kind of tell, you know, he said like in the nicest way possible, basically like you might want to consider getting new instruments like it seems like they're kind of getting in the way of what you're trying to do um so by the time I started my program with him 
I was sort of at a point where I needed to replace them anyway. Um, and then I had the opportunity to try the Wurlitzer Reform Bone. I just actually played Pierre's in a lesson. He let me try it and I fell in love with it right away. But um, So the mains... So the, it's interesting because he, uh, Martin Frost was talking about trying to find the, the person behind the instruments. Do you feel like he sort of tried to do that with you then? Is that what the... Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I couldn't believe... It's one thing, you know, over a two-year period to do that with a student. Yeah. But the fact that he saw it right away mm -hmm. and saw what was kind of in my way and actually gave me a solution and it worked. I mean, that just totally blows my mind that he could tell just from listening to me play not only you know like what problems I was having but what I was trying to do yeah. and he was completely right about it for you I guess that led to switching the clarinet system right and you did this while you were over there um you said this was about two years ago um so what was your main reason for switching then did you just want to sort of follow in his, his footsteps or did you like the what, what are some of the advantages that you considered when you when you did this um, well, for me personally, I've always really loved that German sound. You know, it's like a very distinct... Either you love it or you don't, I think. Um, and I've always really loved it. Even before I met Pierre and started studying with him, um, I had wanted to try a German clarinet. But it's just not something that you can really do in North America. It's hard to access them or to find a teacher that can teach it. Yeah. Um, and I looked at studying in Germany for my master's, but that ended up not being possible because I don't speak German. <laughs> yeah, you have to to go there, correct? Yeah, at least at all of the schools that I was looking at, you had to pass a German language test before they even hear your audition. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, they're pretty strict that way. What was the, what were the advantages then? What caused you to want to switch to um, this clarinet? Well, practically speaking, I was in a place where I just needed a new clarinet. Yeah. Um, and I was over there, I figured if there's ever a time to try something new, it's, it's now. now. You know, <laughs> like I have this fantastic teacher who specializes in this system. He really knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And that's what people are playing here. That's really a good place to just kind of immerse yourself in not only the new system, but that kind of philosophy of playing and that sound, because that's the sound that's sort of around. I mean, it's kind of characterized as being more powerful, darker. Um, Would you say there's but, some keywork advantages? Like, we're, we're for listeners, oh, we're, we're looking at them both right here, and they, they're quite different. I mean, I've got my French system uh, buffet festival over here, and that one has the extra key. So there's, I guess it's an 18-key, six-ring system. But this one is, I think we've got about 20 keys on here, because there's an extra, uh, the G-sharp, and... There's an extra ring actually as well, because that one on the C finger yeah, is not cool. open like that. There's also a double vent res register mechanism, little rollers on the uh, the low F and and uh, G sharp keys. Mm -hmm. We've got an extra mechanism here. I have no idea what that's doing. We'll have to go over that. Uh -huh. There's also these little adjustment screws there's everywhere. Lots of adjustment screws. Tons so. of those, and there's also the the side keys are a little bit differently yeah, designed. Yeah, side B flat is elongated so so if you're listening right now and you're wondering like I can't imagine that <laughs> then that's okay we're gonna put up a, a YouTube link actually and, and sort of take a video of this afterwards so you can check that out in in the show notes but well I think we'll move on for right now but 
don't be put off by the technical nature of what we're talking about because it's uh, um, it's something you can check out online and maybe we'll find like a a, a system chart or a picture to sort of post as, yeah, as well up there. That might be. They have one. Okay, great, great, cool. So. Um, so I would kind of relate this whole switching thing to back when I was in university. I was uh, typing like everybody does with the QWERTY keyboard. Um, so that was actually designed for a different era back when you had typewriters and they, a lot of people say it's because they wanted to slow down the hammers. Um, but it's actually, it was, it was used to prevent them from mashing so that you could speed up your typing, right? Not to slow the person down intentionally. Because what would slow someone down is the fact that the, the thing's all jammed, the hammer's all jammed, right? So they designed it in such a way that they were, it was really kind of awkward in a way to type, but it let the machine function properly. Hmm. So, but we still have laptops today that are designed with that keyboard layout, even though it's maybe not the best. Um, so, but in the 1930s, there's a guy in Washington, uh, his last name was Dvorak, and he's actually related distantly, apparently, to the composer, oh, cool. <laughs> somehow. Um, I guess not that distantly in 1930, but uh, he designed a system that was much more efficient, and maybe I'll post a picture of this too, but the, the layout I switched to is called the Dvorak layout, and my reasoning was I was getting some hand pain, and I was already really bad at touch typing with QWERTY, so I thought, rather than relearn this, I'm just going to start over. So it puts all the vowels in the left hand, all the consonants in the right hand, and then they're organized by finger strength as far as which ones are used. Oh. Um, and so that's kind of how it's designed. And I can type way faster. It, it only took me a couple of weeks to switch. I was expecting months of sort of pain and, <laughs> and uh, stress with that, but it actually happened much faster. So I guess to draw a parallel between this and that, um, you said before we went on air here that this was kind of the clarinet of the future in a way. Um, would you draw some parallels between the, the keyboard system we all use and the clarinet system we kind of are stuck with today, or...? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely could. I think... And I... I really don't want to offend anybody here. I was a very... <laughs> you know, I was a devoted R13 girl for so long, and I, I loved those clarinets. And I really... I really didn't think that there could be anything better. Yeah. You know, like, I kind of... As many people do, I think what we've done is, you know, we've accepted the flaws of that system. Mm -hmm. You know, we've just accepted that the line, the chromatic line isn't perfect intonation-wise. You know, it's not perfect in terms of tone equality. There's some notes that just kind of sound like you're pitching your nose, like that, yeah. Yeah. right? And we make up for it. We add resonance fingerings or, yeah. you know, we do things to compensate for it. And... You know, it's like we've just kind of accepted that that's our job as musicians, is to kind of compensate for the deficiencies in our instrument. And we get really good at it. Mm -hmm. You get good at at making up for, for the things your instrument isn't good at. I mean, if you think about it, just the idea that it's kind of a widely accepted fact that you just can't play a triple forte low E on a clarinet and have it be in tune. Yeah. Like... It's just, it's just not possible. It's just yeah. not done. And as a result, I think musically things can suffer when, I mean, looking now at the Wurlitzer system, the Reformbaum system, the intonation in the low register is so much better. I mean, it's just little things that they've done overall that make it so much easier to play. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to worry about the tone not being the same from note to note. It just is. And 
you know, the intonation isn't perfect in the low register if you're playing super loud, but it's controllable to the point where you actually can play a low E at, you know, a fortissimo level and, and have it be in tune. So you don't have to be kind of cautious about, about these things. And I think it's a much better, just an improved version. Um, and obviously the version that we're talking about is the reform bohm system. So it's essentially a hybrid between the French clarinet and the German clarinet. Um, so the bore itself is essentially German, so that's where you get the German sound from, but instead of having to switch over to the really, really difficult fingering system that the Germans use, that's often a deterrent for people yeah. if they're looking at, they want that German sound, but it's, it's a big difference. It's kind of like a new language in terms of fingering and all of that. Um, this isn't like that. It's got... I mean, there's some differences that take a bit getting used to, but it's got sort of all of the best elements of the French system and the best elements of the German system. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming more and more popular, I think, for that reason, because it's people are starting to realize, you know, like, there is a better version out there. There is a clarinet out there that doesn't have so many deficiencies that we have to compensate for, and you can really just focus on what you're doing musically without having to be, you know, constantly Adjusting navigating. And, and it's interesting because I think that we kind of just got used to the way the clarinet is because the last time it really had a big overhaul as far as the key work and stuff was, um, I believe, around the Industrial Revolution when we had a lot of technological advances and a, a lot of instruments were met with great improvements in that era. But it's kind of been waiting around, <laughs> yeah. you know, since then, and there hasn't been any drastic changes, so this might be something of the first, and, and, and I was actually thinking recently about, you know, the key rollers and stuff, I was like, we, we spent so much time unlearning something that, that would be so natural, why don't, why not just incorporate it into the, <laughs> the design, and, and that's the same with the, the, the Dvorak layout, I mean, if you think about the QWERTY typing, if you look down at your keyboard, you have the semicolon under one of your pinkies. How often do we use the semicolon today? You know, almost never. Yeah. You know, and so it doesn't make sense to continue doing it that way in this era. Like, we've got this little ounce of people who, or this ounce of effort required for such a huge benefit to change. And, and you know, on laptops, no one will, no one will change. But so with these, though, um, what I was wondering is... Like, when I switched, I mentioned uh, the keyboard layout. It only took me a couple weeks to fit the time in to do that and, and then to kind of be fluent again, right? How long did it take you to get used to this Reform Bohm clarinet? Was it an overnight switch? Did it take a few months? I mean, you must have had to unlearn a lot of those compensations you had been doing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, Not to mention your voicing. Yeah. The voicing was completely different. Not to mention that I was also switching to learning and hearing and voicing everything at 442 because I was playing in Europe. Oh yeah. So the combination of that and a new instrument was a bit much. Getting used to the fingering, those were minor changes. I mean... So this takes the best of both worlds. You're not, you didn't feel like you're learning a German system at all. The fingerings are almost no. the same. Yeah, they're almost the same. The only place it really gets a lot different is when you get into the Altissimo, then they really change. Oh, okay. Um, and then this elongated B-flat, which we will show you guys in the video. Um, basically, the side key for the B-flat is just extended. So 
I love that now. You don't have to move as far. So interesting, it's almost the same fingering as I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, slight differences and additions. I mean, the one of my favorite fingerings on this instrument that you don't have on the French system is this fingering for the B flat. So that is thumb, first finger, third finger on the left hand. Yeah. And what does that do? You said B flat? Yeah. It doesn't work in the low so register. It doesn't you work can't play for the e, flat. e flat. Oh, really? Oh. Really? I mean, Interesting. Sort of, but it's very, not very. So that would be a convenient fingering because you can keep it all in the same hand. Yeah, and going from A, you know, A flat to B flat, for oh, a yeah. lot of passages, a lot of passage work, it makes it a lot easier. Wow. Um, does have a little bit of a different color too, so it can be yeah. fun to play with, um, that way, and. That's probably my favorite, and the rollers are nice. I mean, they're, to be honest, for the longest time I didn't even use them because I just, I was yeah. so used to playing without them that... It seemed almost like a, it seems like a bad, the sliding is taught that's so wrong, you're yeah. almost <laughs> afraid um, to do it. But now that I'm getting used to using them, I really, really like them. So this might be a stupid question, but why aren't there sliders in the left hand? Um, on the full German system, there are. Yeah, but on the, I was expecting it would have them too, I guess. Because if you do it, if you have it basically on the German system, they don't have these. At all, yeah. They've just got one version of the mm -hmm. B and the C on either side. Yeah. Um, so you can only play the B on the left, not But if the right. we have the right-hand sliders, why do we not need, like, why wouldn't they be nice to, I guess? I don't, because I don't know. I'm not sure why, but you even they're not the... necessary if you have them on the one side. Yeah, but she's you've also got the... Is that the extra E-flat lever on there? Yeah. Okay, so it just seems like that would eliminate the need, but I guess yeah. not. Pretty much. So, yeah, it looks really, really interesting. So, switching, it sounds like it's pretty worthwhile. I mean, I've, I'm now thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the price of these and the time involved learning, which, you know, the time involved, I guess, isn't that much. I was expecting more... To be honest, it wasn't... The fingering system is not what takes the time. It's, and it depends how you go. There's a few different options, right? Mm -hmm. I decided to opt for a German mouthpiece as well. So does that change the bore, like of the mouth? Like what yeah, is that exactly the changing? Mouthpiece the... of the bore is different. It's shaped different, um, but also your embouchure then has to be different. Could I continue to use my current embouchure and setup with this type of clarinet, or do I have to change that completely? Basically what they're doing now is they're making German mouthpieces with a French facing. Mm -hmm. So you can continue to use French reeds, mm -hmm. um, and the embouchure is closer to that traditional French embouchure. The German embouchure is it's just more relaxed, it's looser. You know how a lot of French clarinet teachers will tell you to smile or to pull the edges of the your mouth lip out. Taut, almost. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the opposite of that. So you're pushing, you're thinking about, like, if you're whistling or blowing air through a straw. Okay, yeah. So you're pushing the corners of your lip, of your mouth, sorry, inwards towards the mouthpiece. Hmm. So you get, it feels really weird at first, and that's, that was what took the longest. But the thing is that if, I mean, you can play these instruments with your French embouchure, yeah. But they, then they don't sound like they're meant you to. you want them. Yeah. They don't get that sound. And it's not until you can relax your embouchure and really um, kind of loosen everything up that that's when they start to settle into that gorgeous German sound because, I don't know, it's... That's what I found. Like well, people who pr are proponents of the double lip system talk about this too. It's a little yeah. bit of pain for a lot of gain or something like that. And 
I've always struggled to switch myself because I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm hung up on the whole, you put 15, 20 years into something, all of a sudden it's, yeah. you feel, you feel like uh, you want to continue with it. But you know, I'm a hypocrite because with the keyboard analogy thing, I mean, that's the same, <laughs> it's literally the same. I mean, if there's something better, you should cut your losses or different and you want to pursue it, you should do that. Mm -hmm. Don't get stuck in what you're doing just because you're there. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And you know? I mean, for me personally, I had a lot of incentive to switch. I mean, while I was still playing my R13s, I started having a lot more technical problems. I mean, I started getting a lot of fatigue in my embouchure that yeah. just shouldn't have been happening. Like things were just getting so tight and partly I think it was because my instruments just weren't working properly anymore. You know, I was working harder to get the sound that I wanted, harder than I needed to be. Um, I was starting to get fatigue in my forearms just from, like, playing. Um, and when I switched, all of that just went away. I mean, the German philosophy behind these instruments is just, it's one of ease. Yeah. Ease of playing, ease of sound production, you know, it's just, they're made to be just sort of an extension of, of your body. Your body. Yeah. I mean, all instruments are, right? But these, I think, are very successfully done. It's like the apple of clarinets. Yeah, <laughs> right? So I don't know if, I guess it does depend on the player, but I, I kind of wanted to get a number, like how long in months did it take you to sort of... If you, oh, were, sure. if you were in a symphony and like you had the summer off and you wanted to buy new clarinets, would this be a reasonable summer kind of project to relearn or, or are so. you going to feel really stressed out about that? I think if you've got some time off, especially, um, it's doable. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's hard to say. I bought them and then um, I ended up having an injury that was not playing related. Um, so I was actually not able to play at all for two or three months and so when I came back at it I hadn't been playing yeah so and I think in a way maybe that was kind of a blessing in disguise because might have helped in a way yeah I wasn't going cold turkey from one to the other because I hadn't been practicing a lot so yeah you were able to go fresh easier to break some of the bad habits that I had had because I had some time away from them um but I think it's definitely doable and especially depending what setup you go with, right? If you decide to go with a French-facing, French-reed setup on these instruments, then that would make the process a lot smoother and quicker because you, you can almost do change. one at a time. The clarinet with the yeah. French stuff, and then if you felt like trying to transition the other aspects. absolutely. And I would recommend certainly for anybody that wants to try these. That's how I did it. When I, I mean, I just played my teachers with his setup. Yeah. And was like, wow. I mean, I fell in love with them after like 10 minutes. And yeah. that was it. I was sold. But in terms of finding my own, I used the first thing I did to make sure, you know, that they just worked properly and that they were in good condition. Um, I used my French mouthpiece with one of those special barrels mm -hmm. to just make sure that the clarinet itself felt okay. And then I changed you know, after like a few weeks, then I changed the mouthpieces and I started experimenting with different mouthpieces to see what setup I liked the best. And for me, um, the German mouthpiece just felt more comfortable. I don't feel like you can 
truly maximize their potential if you don't use a German mouthpiece. So do you feel like you can go back and forth a bit then? Like I, if you have a bass clarinet or an E flat, I'm assuming it's not full bone. I don't know if they even make them. They do. They do? They make mm -hmm. a bass? Mm -hmm. Oh wow. Okay, yeah. so if, if you want to go all in, you can do all the clarinets, I guess. Yeah, but a lot of people don't, um, to be honest. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, they're very expensive. We're talking expensive. a lot of money. Um, new, this model I think is 17,000 euros for a set, but that's euros. So yeah, you're looking at about 25 grand. US even. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's, it's a commitment. And, and so I guess what would you say to someone who was considering switching? Like that's a huge leap of faith almost. I would try to get my hands on one. Um, first of all, I would say, listen, just the most important thing I think, at least for me, is to decide whether or not you like that sound. Mm. And if that's the sound you want. So I would listen to recordings of people you like or some of your famous, favorite famous clarinet players who play on these instruments. Yeah. Um, Wurlitzer has a list on their website of people who use the Reform Bomb. Um, and you can just look them up and listen and see if you like that sound. That would be the first step. And if you do, then I would try... I would try tracking them down. Um, I would also buy used. Almost... I bought mine used basically for between a quarter and a third of the price. Wow. That they would be new. And they're like new. And the wonderful thing about Wurlitzer is that they're not... You know, they're a full-service company. They're really great about that, even though I didn't buy these, and I had no relationship with Wurlitzer. I sent them back after I bought them for some work. Yeah. And it was all included because they just take care of them. Wow. I mean, it's not like overhauled or free, but the kind of work I was... I basically had them retune some of the tone holes because wow. they weren't perfectly in tune, some of the throat tones. So they retuned them for me, um, even though... You know, the clarinets are 20 years old, and, you know, I didn't purchase them from Wurlitzer. They're really good about honoring That's their great. product. That's a great warranty. And they'll, you know, something's wrong that's that's just, or something you want to change, they'll, they'll change it. So, I think that's part of what you're, what you're buying. I mean, they have a, we've got a saying on their website, um... The greatest enemy of good, of great, is good. That's like their motto. And they, I, like I mean, that. that's how they market it. And I think that's true. If you're just looking for a decent clarinet, it's not worth your money. But if you're looking for something that's really fantastic, it's worth the investment, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure if it's something every student should run out and pick up, but if you want no, to really but, refine and, and go for something a little different. and Yeah, and it's. It's that change, it's a change in sound, it's a change in style and philosophy, and I would try them. I mean, most places, I think even Wurlitzer, I mean, you'd have to go, but, you know, yeah. like, if you happen to be in Germany, you go to the factory and they'll let you try some. Yeah, absolutely, I guess. They're Worth really the trip, it sounds that. like it. Yeah, um, or I think there's, there's Wurlitzer dealers in the States now. Um, hmm. So let's just kind of, again, this is going to be kind of tough, but let's walk through some of what this stuff does on here. So we, we have, we talked about the rollers. That's mm -hmm. between the low F and the G sharp key, right? Yep. And then you said the right hand fingering to the same. So first finger is still like B flat F. Mm-hmm. 
middle finger is F sharp. But there's an extra vent down here. You said that makes it more in tune? Basically what they've done, the main difference between the, uh, like the philosophy between the German clarinet and the French clarinet is that the German clarinet, the way they've designed it, the way the fingerings are designed, are to eliminate fork fingerings. Mm -hmm. So anybody that's ever played clarinet has probably noticed that the fork fingerings tend to be the... So fork fingers we're talking about... When you're playing an F sharp... This? Or the low one, sorry. Yeah, like a low... The high, I guess. High, the F, high sharp F sharp or low B. <laughs> yeah. Um, those fingerings tend to be the least stable. Yes. And sometimes instead, like before I switched, I would, I would only use that F sharp if I had to. I would use this one this instead one. because yes. it was more stable. So the... The chromatic the, uh, F sharp. chromatic, yeah. Yeah. So, basically the German clarinet has eliminated, in the way that they've structured the key work, they've eliminated those fingerings so that you really get an equal, you get equal tone on every note throughout the whole register. Um, on the true German system, that's accomplished by you changing your fingerings, which is why the fingering is a little bit more difficult. And you've got these weird fingerings for C and C sharp high C and C sharp, and then F and F sharp, um, and low B and B flat are weird and different. Um, but on the reform poem, what they've done is they've done that by adding key work. So you might be fingering, you know, F sharp above, like... The, the, the clarion F sharp? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might be fingering that, but you've got extra vents, extra keys that are closed to make it more stable so that the bore isn't actually forked like it yeah, would be yeah. on a French clarinet. So it basically eliminates the extra finger work of the German, the true German system, but you still have that sound because they've eliminated the instability that comes from those fingerings. So I noticed a bunch of adjustment key uh, screws on here too. Those those are I, and I know from seeing those on other clarinets that those are either a real fantastic thing or a real pain. Yeah. Do they add to the maintenance of this, or do they kind of are you able to sort of set them and forget about them for a while, or most of them? I I would say they're fantastic. I mean, there's only one. There's one on the lower joint here. Yeah. That tends to need adjusting. That just tends to be like this. There's one pad, and it seems like it's just a common thing everyone I know that has these has the same yeah. problem that it just needs to be tightened up every now and then well you can maybe um, just toss some thread locker on there and it would stick yeah um so generally I you know once I got them set up I haven't touched any hmm. of the others they really do hold pretty well and I think they are a big benefit so then as we work up here we also have the side uh, E flat B flat that's the extended one we were talking about that's mm -hmm. really comfortable actually you don't have to straight uh, you don't have to move, move your all. finger at all to play the, mm -hmm. not really even the F sharp actually. Um, and then we have, what's the, what's the name of this again? The articulated G sharp, is that what they call this? Yeah, it's like a G sharp. So this is like an trill extra key. trill key that you can play the G sharp with on the right hand, um, which is really cool. That's one thing actually along with the left E flat lever. I don't know why every clarinet doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah. It seems like such a basic thing and exactly. there's a guy named Steve Fox who's going to come on in a, in a while and talk to me I hope and he makes a little extension you can add this actually to any clarinet. Yeah. But it doesn't have the same obviously the um, like it's not built in but it sort of just screws on there. Mm -hmm. um, and then as we go up I think that's kind of 
Is that kind of... Oh, the double register mechanism. Yeah. That's really cool. So that means that when you play... It's kind of like a bass clarinet, yep. isn't it? When yeah, does it this, is. When does this open, though, the That opens one? when you play your C. So one more thing about this clarinet, when I look at it, is you've got, of course, that string ligature on there. What, what What's the point kind of behind that? And, and what about the the reeds? Are they different at all? Um, yes, the reeds that I'm using are German cut because this mouthpiece has a German facing. Um, what does that mean exactly? They're just... It's different. They're a little bit smaller, a little narrower than the French reeds. They look a little different. They definitely feel different. I tried using French mouthpiece. softer, generally, the strength? or Yeah. I went, when I was playing on my R13s, I was using three and a half reeds, typically, like Rico, three and a half, or Van Doren. Yeah. Same. Um, on this setup, I'm using two and a half and sometimes those are even a little strong, um, so I'll sand them down a little bit. But yeah, um, the ligature is like the traditional kind of German string ligature. You see it a lot uh, with these clarinets. Um, basically, the concept behind it, I think, is just that the whole idea of minimizing um, pressure. So. You're holding the reed on there, but it's, you know, there's no pressure points from any part of, you know, like a typical metal, metal ligature. Um, it's completely equally pressured all the, way around, all the way around the mouthpiece because it's just wrapped evenly around the mouthpiece. Um, yeah, I mean, there are some people that use, like, the BG ligatures, the leather ones. Oh, yeah, you know? things like that. Um, similar, basically the same effect. Yeah, because um, a lot of uh, ligatures I use, actually, specifically, the point is almost to put these sort of little dots, pressure points on there, and, mm -hmm. and almost reduce contact with the mouthpiece, so it's an interesting kind of backwards, yeah, seemingly backwards philosophy, so. It seems to work really well, I mean, what it, again, it's all about that ease of playing, right, mm -hmm. um, and I, it seems to work really well, I haven't tried anything else. Because I've been happy with this setup, but... And the mouthpiece has those little grooves on there, and that's for the string yeah. to hold on to, I guess. Yep. So. so the mouthpiece comes with the little little grooves in the side so that the string doesn't slip. <laughs> and this, I think the clarinets came with with this. The ligature? Yeah. Yeah, it's included with the ligature. on there. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. And the best part is if you leave it, like, <laughs> I was doing a recording session out of town last year. Um, and I left my ligature at home, so I ended up running around to shoe stores and I bought like yeah a dozen different shoelaces to find one that would work. Well, it's funny because <laughs> I actually I, one time I was using a ligature and I crushed it just before a concert, and so I've after that I started keeping uh, sort of uh, a shoelace with sort of a waxy finish on it mm. in my case so that in, in a real emergency I could go in and and put it on there. But you know I've been, I've had these ones these Vientos bamboo ligatures which we were just trying before we started this, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and I'm going to start keeping one of those in there because it's yeah. you can just throw it in the bottom of your case and it's not going to go anywhere. No, it's, <laughs> it's not, not going to get, get crushed. It won't break. Yeah, you can't break a string. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you can rip it apart with great force and intention, but yeah. <laughs> you could step on that. Exactly. Uh, you could do whatever. And it's, so. You know, they're not expensive. I, before, I was using the Van Doren, the like, silver ones. They have like an Optimum, which is the Optimum. That's what plates. I was using, yeah. yeah. And I liked it, but... 
I don't know. Less, less, less is, is more. more yeah. Definitely. And it seems to just, all you need is something to keep it where it needs to be. You don't want any extra pressure points. So. And you can tie it tighter if you want it tighter. You can tie it loose. Do people experiment with different materials or what is this? Just kind of a basic... This is just cot like a cotton fiber, cotton? I think. There's also like a nylon thread that people use. I have that yeah. also as a backup. I don't like it as much. I find like I like the sound more with this one. That hmm. sounds crazy, but yeah, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. The nylon one, I'm not as big a fan of. Yeah. But I have it, you know, in case I lose this one, basically. Interesting. Um, so it's a little thinner. And it's easier to tie because it doesn't slip as much, but... Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've basically talked about everything, but um, is there like a waiting list that goes on these clarinets when you order them, do you think? Or is it, uh, what's the process like? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, like I said, I bought mine used. Yeah, that's um, right. But you mentioned before we went on air that there was kind of a long building process that goes into them. What, what does that entail? I'm not exactly sure what it all entails. I know on their website they say that it takes them... 10 years to make one clarinet. Wow. Because they are still hand-built. They're not, they're not on a assembly line. They're not mass-produced like the buffets now are or pretty much any other clarinet. Mm -hmm. um, so they are truly handmade. That's why they take so long. And that's part of what you're paying for. That must include the aging process, though. I can't yeah. see someone sitting there working no, on it for 10 I'm years. I'm sure it includes, <laughs> you know, the process where they let the wood age a little bit before yeah. they work. Um Wow. All that, so, yeah. Yeah, gorgeous instrument. Thanks for sharing it with us and giving us the chance to check it out. Um, yeah, for for sure. today's giveaway, we're kind of, uh, it's not like we can just send you this clarinet, unfortunately, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice, but that's not going to happen. This is uh, Raisa's baby here. <laughs> so, but what she's offered, which I thought was kind of cool, um, I don't know if we'll do this as a broad giveaway, because that wouldn't be so helpful. <laughs> but if there's someone who's considering switching to Reform Boehm, um, maybe what we'll do is you can contact on the, the contact form on the website there, or even just post below this link and, uh, she'll give away a 30 minute, some sort of Skype, co uh, consultation or something just to talk about this with you and, and show you what it's like maybe with the fingerings and all that. And then make you, if you're interested in switching or interested you in this at all, love even more. <laughs> yeah, to help you, to help you be in the situation that I'm now in of looking at this going, Hmm, when's mine coming? <laughs> Exactly. So I know there's some listeners who probably would be interested in that. So, um, yeah, that, that'd be a cool thing to kind of give away perhaps. So, um, I, I think I'm going to start, I, I said this in the last episode, uh, with, well, with Garrett, um, we had done, get, that was the last episode with the composer on fire podcast host. He does, um, a lightning round, he calls it at the end, which is kind of five quick questions that get asked and they're all supposed to be answered in under a minute and what they kind of do is give a little bit of insight into the guest and <laughs> and and uh sort of a glimpse into their life outside of this conversation which <laughs> which has been kind of interesting um but i was going to ask he calls it the lightning round on composer on fire and i think that even comes from another podcast but there must be a, a name we could use for clarinet so if you can think of something <laughs> out there um I don't know, maybe the, the quick read or the <laughs> whatever, I don't, I don't know, oh, something man. funny. Anyway, we could come up with a name, but, uh, so basically, uh, let's start these. Are you ready? Absolutely. As ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> cool. 
So, uh, if I, well, we're, at, we're actually at the, I forgot to say this at the beginning, but this is an episode, actually, we're, we're recording at the Clarinet Studio, <laughs> on location here, so, um, but if we were at your house right now, um, and we walked over to your music stand, what would we find on there today? You would find a lot of excerpts. Orchestral excerpts? <laughs> yep. Yeah? You're preparing yeah, for an audition? I am, so. Okay. Well, good luck with that, that'd be. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> excerpts and Mozart Concerto. And some transcriptions I'm working on. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. What is your all-time favorite musical piece or album? I don't know if I have an all-time favorite. I know that what really got me into playing in the beginning and what made me want to be a musician was Mozart Requiem. Oh. I love that. And actually the Grand Partita. I love those. Um, but I'm also it. a big Brahms fan. So there you go. Okay. It's like three answers. Great. What about in the pop jazz realm? Oh, jazz stuff. I love older stuff. Lester Young, Chet Baker, Jerry Mulligan. That's kind of my favorite. Also, big Artie Shaw fan. Okay. Um, for more modern stuff, I really like, really like Chris Potter. Okay. Like my, probably one of my favorite saxophonists. Do you have a particular book you'd like to recommend the audience to help uh, them further their understanding of music or the clarinet or business or life in general? Um, I do have a recommendation for clarinet stuff. Um, it's called The Clarinet and Clarinet Playing by David Pino. Mm -hmm. I've read that too. It's good. It's awesome. Really, really good. Um, and it's, you know, it's not specific to this system, but he does sort of talk about the different different approaches and different um, different embouchures and stuff and a more appropriate embouchure for the German system, more appropriate for French and yeah, it's I, it was a big help to me when I was sort of relearning these new instruments. Yeah. It just reminded me, you know, like some good habits to have. Yeah, there's some great stuff in there. I, I think that might have been where I, I heard about Reform Bohm the first time was that yeah. book. So if you couldn't play the clarinet um, for whatever reason or if you didn't play the clarinet, What's another instrument you would play or try? Probably saxophone. Saxophone. Not so another single saxophone, reed. No. Jazz saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> or cello. Cello. No reeds. It's funny because even better. Uh, a lot of people, I think, feel that way about the cello. It's such a warm, I dark, love it. rich. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the cello is a great instrument, actually. <laughs> you know, it's funny though. It actually shares a lot of the same vocal characteristics yeah. as the clarinet. I think. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the clarinet of the string family, maybe. That's a good way of putting it. So, um, where can listeners find you online? Do you have any social media links or a website you'd like to share? I do. I have a website. It's raceoffallmanmusic.com. Okay. Um, so that's got, you know, just kind of featured recordings that I've done in the last year or so. Are any of those with this clarinet? All of them. All of them. Okay, I should yeah. post those for sure. So, a link to those anyway. Yeah, all of my headshots are with my old clarinet. Yeah, don't be confused by that picture. The sound <laughs> on the website is all this new baby here. So. Okay. Yeah, um, and I also I'm on Facebook and I've got links to stuff there as well. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? I know that it can be really, it's intimidating, the whole idea of switching instruments, and for me. You know, it wasn't the first time someone had suggested that I try something other than a buffet. Um, mm -hmm. And I had always been really reticent about it, but 
if you can try it, you know, if there's any way, if you know somebody that has one or now you know me, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like I would try it out because I can honestly say it's probably made the single biggest difference that, and you know, the two years I had studying with Pierre, um, biggest difference in my career. Like I'm just a totally different player now than I was two years ago and mm. yeah, I love them. So I think the most important thing is finding, figuring out what your, your own musical concept is as a performer. You know, what sound do you want? Because if you, if you don't have that sound in your head first, you know, you're not going to mm -hmm. be able to achieve it. And that's part of how you decide what your setup is. And to me, that's always been what it's about. You know, what mouthpiece I use is based on, you know, what it allows me to do. If yeah. it allows me to realize the things that I have, the goals that I have, or, you know, the sound that I have that I want to produce. Um, so I think that's always the first step. And then you just sort of build your equipment around that once you figure it out. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Risa. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sean. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please head over to clarinet.com where you'll find the show notes for today's episode. Raisa shares her clarinet with us in a YouTube video, and I'll provide a list of reform bohm fingerings, as well as some links to Wurlitzer and some other relevant topics. If you'd like to be eligible to win items mentioned on the podcast, see clarinet.com slash giveaways to learn how. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.